Welcome to the 20th episode of the Hail Mary podcast. I'm A. Toves, and I'm joined by my husband, the Toves. We're back to give our hot takes as number 23 UTSA exacts revenge on Law Tech and throw some Hail Mary shots downfield for our listeners to love or hate. Let's get started. The Roadrunners came into this game with a chip on their shoulder, looking to prove that they could win in Ruston, and win they did, in dominant fashion, 45-16. Law Tech struck first with a 49-yard touchdown pass. The Roadrunners then responded immediately with a 75-yard touchdown pass to Zachary Franklin. Three drives later, Law Tech would add a field goal to take a 10-7 lead at the end of the first quarter, but they would never lead again. UTSA scored two touchdowns in the second quarter one on a short run from Sincere McCormick, and a second on a touchdown reception from Zachary Franklin. The Roadrunners took a 21-10 lead into halftime and never looked back. In the third quarter, Dadrian Taylor came up with a huge interception. He returned for a touchdown to solidify the momentum for UTSA. In the fourth quarter, the offense added a pair of touchdown runs from Sincere McCormick and a 38-yard field goal to put the game away. And if that wasn't good enough, the game ended with an interception by Jarrett Preston in the end zone. Overall, what were your thoughts on the game? It was um, it was a little crazy. I mean, first of all, I, you know, I, I thought it was going to be a closer game. I, I thought La Tech was going to come out to show that last week was an aberration. So, honestly, I felt like it's going to be a tight game. I, I thought we were going to have to really look for some our spots. Well, and, and to be fair, La Tech started the game like we all expected that they would. It's just once they lost that lead in the first quarter, it was like as the momentum continued to stay or shift into you know UTSA's favor, they just never got it back. I mean, that first half, Law Tech was a very different team than the second half, Law Tech. Yeah, and and you know I, I think it, you know obviously the homecoming boost um, was there. You know we talk about the disrespect of you know scheduling a certain opponent for homecoming because that's the one you're going to win you want to win homecoming mm-hmm. so um i know from my old high school days that uh, we once scheduled judson as a homecoming game which was a i, I can't idea. believe why, why that was even a thought because um <laughs> there there really wasn't there, there really shouldn't have been a reason for it um so this almost felt like the same thing where like la tech why why are you doing that however before the season i don't think it neither UTSA, maybe UTSA thought about it, but La Tech certainly didn't think that UTSA was going to be this good. Uh, yeah, so, they certainly <clears throat> didn't think that they would have a loss to UTEP going into this game either, I'm sure. Correct. Uh, you know, looking back at Skip Holtz's career, you know, he's he's been pretty steady over here at La Tech, you know, whether keeping them within the middle of the West Pack, if mm-hmm. not in the higher end uh, of the West Pack. So for them to kind of essentially fall apart was, was just bizarre to me. But, you know... It shouldn't have been because, you know, one of the things we had talked about, you know, from my preview was that this offensive line was not very good at all. There's a reason why the PFF grades are what they are. Sure, some of them can be wrong, but for the most part, they they give you a good sense about this is how someone played. And to have that starting offensive line be in the poor category, um, and essentially four out of five of the linemen there, it led me to believe that we're going to put pressure on that offensive line and, mm-hmm. you know, Kendall's just not going to be able to sustain it. I mean, there's a reason why he only had, like, at the time, about, I think it was a 58.9 completion percentage. I'm not sure what it was during this game, but it really didn't matter because you could see as the game progressed that he was starting to feel that pressure, that he was, even when it wasn't there. And, and that, at that point, it's very difficult for an offense to function. 
so let's start right now, I would say, with sort of that first half. You know, I, I don't think Smoke Harris uh, for La Tech is, like, just fast. I know that's his nickname, but he's really sort of a, just a short, quick guy. Mm-hmm. And, you know, bad coverage led to this long touchdown pass. And he had another long pass. It, again, it was just, we looked really slow coming out the gates. Mm-hmm. We looked like, especially on the defensive side, it just looked like we were stuck in mud. And it, it was just kind of mind-boggling yeah, as I mean, to why they came out that way. Trailer said, you know, the first half that he felt like our O-line and our D-line both, you know, just looked really tired. And again, we saw that, you know, in that first series with the D-line, like they should have been able to put more pressure on LaTex O-line because they are so bad. And they really, they didn't, they had some busted coverage, you know, um, which again, is not the D-line's problem, but I mean, they also had holes open up for the run game. They looked tired. They looked like a team that needed a bye week. I mean, I think early on, it's they were playing with juice, so the offensive line was was going to hold up, and you know, for the most part, they held up some, but it was I think going to take just sort of that kind of wearing them down approach, right. and uh, you know, that's that's really what we ended up what ended up happening was, yeah. and it felt like by the second quarter, like it, yeah, I mean, it wasn't a sustained effort from Lazeg. No, and Trailer said he challenged the guys at halftime, but but like you said, I think really it was the first quarter where we didn't see the typical play from UTSA's defense. And then, you know, once that first quarter was over, I mean, they were pretty stout. I mean, they held them scoreless the second quarter and the third quarter. And it wasn't really until the fourth quarter, you know, that they scored again. And then by that point, you know, it didn't really matter. Right. And you've kind of seen this from a couple of opponents now from UTSA. You saw it with Memphis, uh, which is a much better team. Uh, I think, <laughs> but uh, you know, they came out in the first quarter, really, really took it to uh, UTSA, and that's what I think that La Tech was hoping for was that UTSA would f- kind of fall apart and give them opportunities to put up some more scores, mm-hmm. and I think that would have kind of changed sort of the the script of the game. But you know, again, UTSA just keeps finding ways to essentially take those body blows and then come back and counterpunch, and they did, and and I think especially from the from the defensive line, going just going back to it real quick, rotating those those guys just really started affecting that terrible offensive line. There mm-hmm. was, and I can't remember at what point of the game it was anymore, but I just remember them, uh, the right tackle, Fournier for La Tech. Right. At, at one point, he he's, allows a sack because he looks to his right, even though the UTSA defender, and I believe it was Clarence Hicks, mm-hmm. was on the in, on his inside shoulder. Everybody knows that the that knows football knows that no matter what, you don't want somebody coming up the middle or coming on the inside. You want to make them take that long route around to get to your quarterback. So it was bizarre that he kind of looked to his right and he tried to block like, phantom air, block. Yeah. <laughs> and Clarence just blew past him to his left. And he was stunned. Yeah, yeah, he was stunned. But I don't know. I, I mean, the, the only thing I could guess was that he was thinking that Maybe Clarence was going to like do a spin move or try to go somewhere outside. Like he wasn't gonna actually go right on his left shoulder, and he did. Um, but it was that kind of play that just kind of felt epitomized how LaTeX just. I don't know. I mean, it just they just weren't ready to play this game, and I don't think it's preparation wise. I just think that it goes back to like I said, like Memphis and with some of these other teams that we played. 
when this UTSA strength and speed kind of catches catches up to our opponents, they're caught off guard and they aren't able to make those adjustments. And it speaks to a lot of just this depth, which I want to go into later. But Well, and I wonder too with La Tech having played so many close games and some of those not going their way, like did they get discouraged and are there problems in the, the locker room with their focus? Because... You know, it can be really hard on a team when you play so close and you lose on that Hail Mary shot, you know, to SMU. You know, those can be really discouraging. And, you know, has that maybe just worn on them? And then that creates other problems and fractures within, you know, the team itself. That's a fair point. I, I think the other part is, you know, this team just isn't buttoned up situationally. Yeah. I mean, and that's a recurring theme for UTSA this year is that they're buttoned up and their opponents aren't. So that kind of causes this issue that just opens up opportunities for UTSA to take advantage of, whether it's on offense or defense. Yeah, not to mention, you know, one of the things that was interesting in the post game was, you know, Trailer said the team was really negative when they did their um, walkthrough the night before the game, you know, about all of these things that had happened in the past. And, you know, if you really go back and think about it, of course, nobody really said this explicitly, but the last time we played in Ruston and lost was the end of the Frank Wilson era. And there's a lot of guys that were here from the Frank Wilson era. And they remember it. Like, yeah. that was a it was a rough game. Um, you know, JoJo's the one who started. I think Lowell had gotten benched maybe the game before that. Um, you know, Tariq Woolen told Trailer he just started as cornerback and no idea what he was doing. You know, it was just, um, it was a really rough game for those guys. And then, you know, and then their coach gets fired the next day. So, I mean, a lot of emotions, um, but it was interesting to hear Trailer talk about the fact that, you know, he knew, like, we got to get rid of these these thoughts. We got to change our mindset coming in. So, you know, the other thing is, I think at some point when UTSA did finally wake up in that first quarter on defense, you know, the offense came out strong, but, you know, it was like, all right, we are going to exact revenge on these guys and we're going to, you know, kind of expel all of these negative things that have happened in Ruston every time we've gone in and lost. That's a really good point. You know, did not, obviously, like you said, I don't think anybody really thought about that. That's when the Frank Wilson era ended. Uh, but I think the other thing just to kind of go back to is I know trailer wanted to, you know, kind of get those thoughts out of the way, but we didn't know that that would be the extra chip on the shoulder for this mm -hmm. team. Like they're finding, how are they, you know, going to get pumped up for every single game? Who knew that it was the end of the Frank Wilson era uh, and, you know, and the confusion and the disarray that they were in at that point that was really going to come come to bear here in this game where they were just going to blow out La Tech. I mean, right. you know, going back again, I thought it was going to be a close game. I thought, you know, you had Reese Davis say that this was a super dog pick for La Tech. He thought that, you know, that La Tech was going to cover at the very least, if not win. There were others that... I think we're just really underestimating UTSA. Well, yeah, I mean, just the line being what it was, you were definitely underestimating UTSA, you know, having it be between five to seven points, given that we were ranked coming into Ruston, and that La Tech had had such a bad game the week before against UTEP. You know, I just think that when it really comes down to it, UTSA just had a chip that we were, or a motivation that we weren't aware of, and here, you know, here we are. Here we are talking about such a big win. Right. So let's go to the offense. Um, look, it, it. I know we've kind of talked about it before. Maybe we alluded to it, but we haven't actually said that this has become sort of a pick your poison type offense. Uh, you know, whether it's you know the the first game of the season with Illinois, we thought, wow, you know, since here's really bottled up, this running game really isn't going. Uh, 
And we come out and we throw, and Zakari and Josh are just running all over that Illini uh, secondary. So we thought, okay, maybe it's a one-game mirage. But no, it continued, even into the Lamar game, into you know, Memphis. So it's just so interesting and just kind of awesome to see how all of these skill players have come together. And you really have, a, a, I'm going to say, a balanced offense. And I say that more as of a you can pass the entire game like we did against Western Kentucky, or we can run the entire game and it doesn't matter. We're going to find success. And, right. and, you know, it came to bear here again in La Tech, I, though I think the rushing game wasn't as big of a issue. It was that passing game, uh, yeah, quick it, passing. So, you know, this was the most balanced game I think we've had all season. We had 213 yards rushing, 193 yards passing. So a little bit heavier on the rushing, but for the most part, I mean, it's about 50, 50, Again, you know, you look at the games and the percentages of passing versus rushing we've had in the other games, you know, this is, it's a very different, you know, sort of balance than what we've seen in the past. But like you said, we can do, we can do whatever the defense gives us. Yeah. And who knew that we would ever get to that point, right? Because it was like you, and I, you know, you hate to go back to this, but you look back at the Coker and and Wilson eras, and we were good at one, but we weren't very good at the other, mostly because we had mismatched talent. You know, we would have good running backs so we could run, but we needed some, some you know, receivers to step up so we could at least get some sort of balance and, and get the defenders off of our running backs. I mean, this year, everybody you know, has talked about being focused on sincere. Great, but you have three terrific wide receivers that we can't stop gushing about and mm-hmm. You know, JT Clark, Josh Cephas, and Sakari Franklin that are, are just really manhandling defenses. And in this one, it was pretty much the same thing. Like Zakari on that first touchdown pass, you know, Trailer noted after the game, and, and you made a wanted to, you know, make a note of this was that, you know, he's finally healthy, and you can tell because he ran away from the defender. Right. And that's what Trailer had said as well. You had said earlier in the year, it kind of looks like he's. He's going a little bit slower. Maybe that's what it was. Maybe it, that injury was slowing him down right. a little bit more, more than we thought when we first started the season. So, Well, yeah, and, and just talking about receivers, I mean, when we look at it, we really had six receivers that had official catches, seven if you count Cardinus. Um, but, of course, his pass got um, pulled back based on that penalty from Zakari. But really, to look at that and say, you know, we had six receivers. Yes, we did go a little heavy with Zakari in this um, in this game. But you know, Frank has a lot of different people that he can throw to. They got three of the tight ends involved, which is you know something we've kind of talked about. You know, would they bring in the tight ends um, in terms of reception versus just having them block? Um, and you know, and this is one of the first games where you saw Watson, Sharp, and Cardenas all have um, receptions. So again, you know, you you can you can do whatever you need to do to win. And I, and I think also Lonnie is just opening up the the playbook, the playbook yeah. much more. He's uh, you know he's giving them different looks, and you know honestly, as the the team continues to evolve throughout the season, I mean, you would expect them to continue to start bringing out some different plays. You're gonna have those base core plays, which you still have, which I think frustrates some because it's a lot of run of, runs up the middle, right. uh, a lot of sincere just kind of bouncing off offensive linemen, which we'll get to at some point. I don't know if this podcast, but in another episode. Uh, but you know, I, I really still kind of go back uh, something that you mentioned last week. You know, it, it just felt like, or at least feels to me like BJ Daniels is still a little fresher than sincere. There seems to be a lot more wear on, on sincere. You know. 
I get that he busted a long run, but for the most part, it was still sort of a sloggy kind of two to three yard type of gains. Whereas like you see BJ come in, man, he's hitting that hole hard. And there were, when he first was getting some of these carries, he was getting some big gains. He's starting to rip them off. Now that defense was tired right. for LaTeX, but still, you know, they knew by the end of BJ's carries that all that was going to happen was we were just going to hand it off to BJ. So, you know, he lost yards after that. But I just wish that he would get more uh, carries earlier in the game as opposed to later in the game. Yeah, yeah. It seemed like they really just went to Frank, I mean, went to a Sincere um, as the primary. And Frank, you know, kind of had a couple of runs sort of as the backup and then just held BJ really until they got to the point where they were going to have their, you know, second string in instead of trying to kind of rotate him in more. Yeah, I mean, and, and so as we kind of, I think, tie this whole offensive game together, yeah, something just to note here is that UTSA ends October uh, play with uh, outscoring opponents by an average of 42 to 20. Who knew, that, first of all, that we would ever say that, even like two years ago, but let's go into the defense here because giving up an average of 20 points a game, and really the outlier here is uh, Western Kentucky because sure. they put up so many points on us, but... You know, you've got 17 points from uh, from UNLV at the beginning of the month. You've got a goose egg from Rice, and then you've got 16 points here in Ruston. This defense, you know, I, I don't even know how much more we can gush about it. I've I always liked that 2017 defense because it was uh, it had quite the I, I would say players on it. Obviously, we had Josiah, we had Marcus Davenport. Overall, that team. Um, really did a number on the record books. This team, though, is so much more different in terms of being able to not only cause turnovers, but also get points off those turnovers. And when I say that, not just for the offense, it, like putting them, setting them up in good position, it's actually scoring. Right. I mean, we are tied with Ohio State with a defense that has the most um, scores. I mean, we have five um, total touchdowns from our football team, or from our defense, um, and so does Ohio State. They came on, what was it, two um, fumbles recovered for touchdowns and three interceptions. So, you know, for us to say that we're tied in a stat with Ohio State in anything is, you know, incredibly impressive. Um, and it's especially impressive, you know, given the growth of this defense. It just feels like that nice kind of side dish to the main course, right? The season has been such a great, has been a, such a great main course. This is a great little stat to add to what's been such a memorable season for this defense. Uh, you know, they've come up big at certain times. They came up with a the big stop against UNLV. You know, uh, again, going to uh, the Rice game, I mean, shutting out an FBS opponent for the first time in school history. Looking at this La Tech game, you know, again, it was, they started out slow, but, you know, they brought it all around and, you know, I don't know where even to start talking about in terms of players. I mean, I think you have guys like Clarence Hicks, who've just been amazing. Uh, you know, that pass rush is just terrific. You've got guys like Dadrian Taylor, who are also still just kind of flying off that ball. And again, it's it's that speed. It's, mm -hmm. Both of those guys have really gotten made plays off of their speed. Well, and I think the big thing is just the fact that it's not just our starters. It's our second and it's our third string. I mean... The play of the game, you know, came from Dadrian Taylor, who was obviously a starter. And when, you know, he made that um, interception in the second half, I mean, you had a, 
mistake that he had made on specials teams that you know led to you know us having to punt because we you know really couldn't do anything on offense you've got good field um, position for La Tech when they were starting um, the next drive and then had they gone down and scored you're talking about a 21 to 17 you know game which means they're one possession things could have looked very different but instead you know we go up two possessions and then our um, our game ends on an interception from Jarrett Preston. I mean, when was the last time, if ever, we've said Jarrett Preston on this podcast? I mean, I had to look him up. I didn't know who he was. But, <laughs> you know, that's how the game ends is this interception from, you know, this junior that we really don't know anything about because you don't tell the, you know, you just can't tell the difference when you sub in these second, third string, you know, guys. Yeah, it's a good point. And I think really where I, I really wanted to tie up this point about, you know, how how good this defense is. We talk about Rashad Wisdom being the leader, but he's not the one making the plays. It's There's so many other guys making the plays that at this point he's just become sort of a side note too. And I know that sounds bad, but it really isn't. It's just how talented this defense is. Right. And it's solely based off of that defensive line, and it, it's such a great line. I mean, there's, you know, we, we could go on and on about some of these guys. Uh-huh. Um but I just wanted to go back real quick to that DeAndre Taylor interception. You know, watching that play, I want to say that he baited Kendall into into throwing that ball, but I'm not really sure why Kendall threw that ball. Uh, because a, I don't remember who was covering that receiver. I, I I'm gonna guess Ken Robinson because I think it was Woolen was out by that point. He wasn't open, <laughs> so and he DeAndre or DeAndre was right there in that area, so. It was almost like, I'm going to just say, it felt like D'Adrian was said, you're not really going to throw this ball, are you? And then Kendall let it rip, and it was like, okay, well, all right, well, you know, you've just made the dumbest mistake you've made in this game. And, you know, they made him pay for it. So, you know, I'll be honest with you. I mean, I, I think, you know, we could probably talk a lot more about this defense in in, in detail, but, you know, I, I think we've we've covered the right spots, which is, there was dominance. There was a slow start. There was dominance, and then there was, you know, let's let's just finish this game out. And you know, they put in some some guys near the end, and uh, which is good to see. And Jarrett, hopefully you uh, <laughs> you enjoy your first time on the Calmarian podcast because I'm not sure how many other times we'll see your name at least this season. <laughs> I don't know, maybe, but I mean, look to the future again, right? I mean, yeah. he's a junior, so next year we could be talking about him being the big playmaker. Good point. So let's talk about the special teams really quickly. You know, obviously, um, I, I would say that they were good, not great. Um, I think you felt the same way. You know, I, I don't think it had anything to do with our kickers. I think, you know, Dean and DuPlessis did what they always do. Um, our, our coverage teams were fine. But we had little blips. You know, mm-hmm. Deidre, obviously, you talked about the fumble. Um, but I wanted to kind of talk a little bit about Sticks because, man, he's so frustrating. I know we've talked about it before, but... There were there was one moment where he he essentially he didn't muff the punt, but he essentially you know called for a fair catch, and then it didn't actually go up and catch the punt, and allowed it to go. We lost like about fifteen or so yards. So those are the moments which really would have hurt us as a team. I would say you know even a season ago, mm-hmm. losing those fifteen yards and putting us deep into our territory. Now because this offense is much more balanced, it's a little easier to to take. But it's still frustrating because 
we're putting ourselves at a disadvantage that we don't necessarily need to have and you don't expect that from a senior you know i mean this is a senior punt returner you know this is not a freshman out there so you would expect that he would be making better decisions and and you know that trailer is not going to call him out no and he has he has pumped him up by saying oh you know it's it's tough doing that job but i think in the back of his mind he's thinking you know, if you're going to call for a fair catch and then not run up and actually make that catch, then I need somebody new back there. Because it, it's just it's just kind of a frustrating piece. And uh, I don't know that our hearts can really be taking that kind of drama <laughs> within games when we're trying to receive funds. Anything else? Uh, no, I think we covered everything. So what did we learn from the game? Well, it's, it's something that we probably already knew, but I'm still going to reiterate it. It's... Depth is good, and but quality depth is game changing. I mean, you can have good backups, but you know we've routinely started hearing now that, and it's almost like the Monty Ginobili effect, I guess you could say, where Monty Ginobili would come off the bench, knowing that he's going to play key, key moments in the fourth quarter. You've got pretty much the same approach now with the the defensive line and the defenders. You know, I, I would say even to an extent, some of the offensive players. Um, you have guys that are willing to accept the fact that, hey, I'm not going to start, but when they need me, I'm going to go in there, fill my role, complete my assignments, and, you know, make a play if I can. And that's what you got. And, and you know, when you talk about guys like um, Jared Preston, like you did, you know, where did he come from? You know, he most likely had another good practice, decided to throw him some, some snaps. You look at guys like Osiris Simon, who has been getting some snaps throughout the year, yet here he was getting some snaps I would say midway through the game and then near the end uh, and, and he was looking good he's a third stringer maybe fourth stringer mm-hmm. he, he, you can't see him on the two deep roster but he's always the or uh, but you know I, I would say point at the fact that Christian Clayton got that late targeting call and I would say previous seasons even last season you'd say oh we're gonna be because we have an injury here uh, you know, now Clayton's out for the ne- you know first half of the next game. This defense might be in trouble. Except it almost feels like sort of a yeah, he's gonna be out for the first half. Okay, cool. We'll have a tighter rotation. I mean, it's just sort of shrugged off, and that's it's so weird to say. And you know, well, yeah, you contrast that to when um, last year when Rashad had the targeting call and was out, and it made a much bigger impact. Right, we were trying to figure out who's going to be that other safety. Right. Uh, you know, we were looking at, you know, Kelechi, you know, oh, we wish that Jamal Sam was there. <clears throat> you know, we were looking for that that replacement and freaking out. And I guess we don't, maybe others do blink. I don't see, I don't really blink anymore just because I'm thinking, well, some other guy's going to step up. They're going to have them prepared. They're ready to go. And I think that going back to, you know, what you said from the very beginning uh, with, with Tariq Woolen, when he said, hey, the last time I played here, I was playing corner and... I had no idea what I was doing to now you might bring in a second or third stringer guy and they know exactly their assignments. They know exactly what they're supposed to do. And they're probably going to make just as many plays as first stringer. Um, What did you catch from the, you know, learn from the game? Well, I think uh, just the fact that, you know, after the game trailer said, um, it looks like with this bye week coming up, we should have most of our starters back. Um, So, you know, obviously, Woolen got hurt in this game. He's a starter, and they're not really sure what the extent of his injury is, but the guys that have been held out, it sounded like we should have um, all of those guys back for our game against UTEP, which means, you know, we should be able to really come into UTEP and dominate. 
That's a good point. I mean, I I didn't see the woolen injury. It just, you know, I guess I just didn't notice it. Um, but, um, you know, he had a couple of bad plays in the first half. And then in the second half, I thought maybe he had cleaned everything up. Unfortunately, you know, when you're watching on TV, you can't really see who's out there playing. So you don't notice that they're gone. So... Um, Especially when they rotate through so many guys. That too. I mean, that's the other part. Is they're rotating so many guys that sometimes you just lose them within uh, just those rotations. So, um, I got one more thing that we learned from this game, and I don't know if you're ready for it. We learned just how country Jeff Trailer is. <laughs> I mean, you know, we we hear the East Texas in him. We hear the you know I'm from Gilmer. You know, blah blah blah. But at the very end, he had this great press conference where it seemed like he was really happy. He had not acknowledged that there was, you know, that this was a big win. But he had a few dad gums in there. We had, uh, he talked about the fact that if they got into a fight, they had the Gilmer guys there. So the dem boys would help in those fights. <laughs> and then he kept throwing in a whole bunch of, baby, you know, I did this. Baby, I did that. And like, you know, when he said he's talking to like Frank Harris and other players. So, <laughs> whew. Was there anything that you caught that was country? Because boy, he really got East Texas, and he, he was Texas. He was Texas to a huge degree at the at that final post game. Well, conference. I liked it when he was he was talking about the penalties because they were you know talking about the fact that you know we really don't have a lot of penalties as it as a team. We didn't have a lot in this game, and he said there were two that made him madder than a hornet, um, and it, <laughs> he alluded to the fact that it was the you know personal foul or. The, the fouls against um, Woolen and McDougal, but it was just kind of interesting hearing him refer to being madder than a hornet. I mean, it was just like, you know, I guess going back to his opening press conference when he called his wife, you know, hotter than fish, fish grease, grease, right? Yeah. I mean, it's, it just was just weird um, I, because the time we had heard him say these things was at his opening press conference, so he's showing himself there. Here, it's, he's now 8-0. It's, He's had a whole bunch of probably family and friends that came in from Gilmer. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it just seems like he really let himself just relax for a second. Well, yeah. I mean, just... And even before that, when you saw, you know, the flashes of him on the sideline, you know, he was much more relaxed um, at the end of this game than he's been in a long time. He looked genuinely happy. You know, he was... He always talks about how he keeps his headset on until the very end of the game, you know, most of the time because we're usually in... We have been in the past in these close games, but, you know, he took his headset off with, like, 45 seconds left. He was walking up and down the sideline. He was taking pictures with his mom. You know, he just really looked genuinely happy and relaxed. And in his press conference, even, you know, usually after these big wins, he's very um, stoic, you know, to some extent. And this time he was just like, yeah, a culture pillar violation on me, but yeah, this is a big win. This is a big deal for my team. Like he was just really in a a very relaxed state of mind, and it was really good to see him kind of, you know, because I'm sure the team sees that, but he gives a very different public, you know, view. Yeah. Um, and so yeah, I think we saw the the real trailer on that sideline, the real I, country yeah. trailer. <laughs> I would say 20, 20 to twenty five percent of this was just him being just so happy for the players and just Mm -hmm. getting to the bye week and really kind of just really ending on this high note. But I would, I would really garner to say that the other 75 to 80% because his mom was there. Right. And I think it really meant a lot to him that she was there. So it allowed him to kind of really loosen up to a point that I think it just made the players kind of feel comfortable. Right. And, you know, 
there's not much more you can say about it, but you just got to feel happy for him because... He was very charming. He was. He was. And you <laughs> see why, and I hate to say it now, but you see why so many other teams, um, so many other colleges, universities are looking at Trailer and saying, is he our next football coach? Mm-hmm. All right, so let's talk about the players of the game then. Let's start off with the defensive side first. Uh, I'm going to go with the bootleg defensive honorable mention here. I split it between Osiris Simon and DeAdrian Taylor. Both their PFF grades were 74.5 and 76.4, respectively. You know, both of them played well. Osiris really just, I think, made his impact when, you know, coming in and sub on, on the uh, defensive line and was able to just get off the get off the ball and, and uh, you know, create some havoc in the backfield. I think he had at least one sack. Um, I think he was causing more havoc uh, while he was in there. And, you know, um, you have to be happy with the fact that, again, you have a third stringer coming in and really just blowing guys off the ball and, and getting in there and uh, making plays. Same thing with DeAdrian. I mean, you know, we talked about his interception already, but you got to be happy for him, uh, especially for the fact that, you know, again, you mentioned it early in this in this game about, or in this podcast, about the fact that, these guys have been through the Wilson era, and you know this was a bad feeling when they first you know left or left Russ in the last time, and now they've returned and they have this chip on their shoulder. And just seeing DeAdrian really blossom this year, but this game was just he was a little quieter up until that interception. But man, you could see him raring to go at times um, on the especially on the um, edges where he was ready to blitz. He was ready to go in there and, you know, cause more havoc. I was a little worried that um, D'Adrian was going to get some kind of personal foul at one point, though, because there was um, it was a kickoff return. Both D'Adrian and Donye Taylor, like, somehow ended up in a, in a spat with, I don't, I couldn't tell if it was um, Smoke Harris or if it was one of the other La Tech guys, but Woolen came and pulled the two of them, both of the tailors, by the back of their shirts and, like, walked them off of the, under the sideline. So, you know, Deidrean was raring to go for this game. I was a little worried he was going to get a little too chippy. <laughs> I mean, it was a chippy game. Uh, you in know, the first half, yeah. In, in the first half, it really did get chippy. But I think that's Deidrean's just playing style, just yeah. to begin with. You know, he's a hyper guy. He's high energy. Um, I think he's going to talk a lot more than some of these other players. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think it was... He stayed under control, and that's all that mattered. Uh, didn't get any unnecessary penalties. So that said, let's go to the player of the game for me. On the defensive side, it is Clarence Hicks. Uh, I think we call his name a lot, but um, he had a 77.1 PFF grade. He was He's just great in the pass rush. Um, and, and really, I think that's where he's um, really kind of making his impact on the defense. He, uh, he had one of his sacks where he was essentially playing the spy, and... Um, I, you know, I pretty much told you, look, there's two linemen that are, um, that are waiting to block him, but then Kendall got, you know, got out of the pocket. And as soon as he did that, the lineman had no idea that he was moving out of the pocket and Clarence just accelerated and just hit Kendall. Um, it's, it was really the epitome of just being a smart player. And the fact that our defensive line just was so much better and our line, our outside linebackers were playing so well. Let's go to the offensive side on the bootleg offensive honorable mention. It's going to Zakaria Franklin. Uh, he had an 83 PFF grade. To me, he looked like a superstar self again. I think if he had more of a complete game in terms of seeing more of an impact throughout the game as opposed to really just in the first half, I, I think it would have been a, a, a different story. Uh, I might have 
pushed him up to player of the game. But for the most part, you know, obviously, to me, I said, you know, he, he was his usual self. And then, you know, you see him, <laughs> you see him post game. And the first thing I told you was, look at him. That's why I call him the baby face receiving assassin, because he has a baby face. And it's just, there's just a smoothness to him on and off the field that you just, you're like, this guy's such a good wide receiver and he may end up being in the NFL and you know it's I think people are going to underestimate him but yeah it was nice to see that he was really genuinely surprised when they told him um, post game that he had the record for career uh, receptions at 132 career receptions in UTSA like he really didn't have any idea and he was really like just genuinely surprised and excited when he heard that and you know once you started really seeing Zakari play you realize that he's probably going to get that mark he's probably going to reach something and set some sort of wide receiver records it's just really cool to see him get it now and mm-hmm. potentially you know he might have one more season uh, to go with it so with that let's go to the, the offensive player of the game for me it's frank harris 82 pff grade it was good to see him actually doing more running this game uh, i think it was needed at times especially to help open some some holes up for uh, for sincere uh, and to a lesser extent bj but, you know, I felt like, you know, he got rid of the ball at times. You know, he's never really been the guy where that's that's going to sit back there and really pick you apart. So, it, which is not necessarily a bad thing because I think that, you know, the way the offensive line wasn't holding up as well. Even in the second half at times, um, there was some pressure on him that I think our offensive line could have played better. Um, but um, It was it, funny to hear uh, Trailer talking about him uh, post-game he specifically called out with Frank that there was a play, I think it was in the third quarter, where um, Frank keeps the ball on a third and short and ends up running out of bounds instead of getting the first down. And Trailer said he told Frank, you know, I don't call these quarterback keeper plays for you to run out of bounds. I expect you to get first downs. So then, like, two plays later, Frank, you know, keeps the ball, he runs, gets a first down. He... Obviously, he doesn't know how to slide, so that's the one thing that I think Frank needs to work on, because he sort of like runs and he kind of like throws himself down on the ground on his shoulder. I was like, oh. I don't yeah. think that's the first time you've mentioned that on this <laughs> podcast, but it's good to bring up again because he's running again. So yeah, it's like Frank, like your knees are not the only problem. Remember, you had that shoulder injury. Like, let's not do that either. <laughs> well, I, and it was just fun just to see it. You know, we went when we rewatched it today, we were able to see that moment where it does look like trailer goes up and starts talking to him and telling him you know I, i'm not calling these plays like that and you can see frank like have a reaction right back to him mm-hmm. and uh you know it cuts commercial after that but yeah when he comes back I, I, then i think it was like i want to say it was later in the third quarter if not into the fourth quarter where he actually goes and takes on another linebacker and i was like mm-hmm. okay now we're getting out of control all right like let's let's, let's not do this this get, get the first down just don't run out of bounds before you get the first down. i mean when i see it i i will say this Within the podcast episode, I'll joke when I see a bad Frank Harris pass. I'll be like, oh, that's it. Let's bring in Josh Atkins right now. Let's go. I don't actually mean let's go ahead and see him because Frank got broken in half again. So, <laughs> you know, I think it'd be good to see him actually finish the season and, you know, have a really good season and really set and some marks for the, the whole season. Yeah, yeah. And, and to have some really great marks um, for the quarterbacks and set some sort of new standard. But, um, you know, if he continues playing like games like, like against La Tech, we're going to see some more quarterback records broken. Absolutely. All right, so let's talk about the A2's breakout players on offense, Oscar Cardenas. Yeah, just another kind of steady game from Oscar. I mean, he did have 
a reception um, that got called back again because there was a penalty on the play. But other than that, I think it was just kind of a, a good sort of steady game for Oscar. Yeah, lots of good blocking. Again, um, you know, I think he was he was one of the main reasons that uh, Sincere really busted that 47-yard rush, uh, rushing touchdown, because they immediately said to the announcers, hey, he just followed Cardenas as his blocker, and uh, there you go, good to go. So I, I think we'll go deeper into it when we, we talk next week, I think, you know, looking back on the season so far. But the decision to really have Oscar as, you know, more of a starter and uh, to pair him up with Watson is essentially two extra linemen has been huge, mostly for Frank Harris, but I think also for this offense. So let's go to the defense. Kalechi. Yeah, he uh, for, or he recovered his second fumble of this season. Um, he had two tackles, one solo tackle. So again, another you know solid game for, for Kalechi. Yeah, I agree. I, I think um, he did get beat up a couple of times because of the coverage. Uh, I think one of the, that final big throw from LaTeX right before um, the either the score or it was before the um, the final whistle, um, he allowed a, a long one, and, you know, it happens. Uh, you know, you, no matter how much you prepare, sometimes, you know, guys just make plays. Um, I will say, in terms of, like, Caden Holt, um, I know that he didn't didn't actually have the play, but I, I think it's just interesting to note here that, you know, as I rolled the dice on, on some, you know, a, a freshman, something that we hadn't really talked about yet was the fact that, you know, Trailer had mentioned during press conference earlier this week that he's really looking to hopefully get some of these freshmen um, and some recruits from last year too redshirted this year. Yeah. So what a benefit for the UTSA program um, to be able to redshirt potentially Caden Holt and then some of these other uh, young guys from last season, which kind of didn't really count last season. So, right. you know, they're able to play an extra season and, and be able to potentially use them, you know, find them, you know, three or four years down the road. Um, he said it with degrees and bigger and stronger, bigger, stronger, and faster. So, you know, as much as I roll the dice on Caden, look forward to seeing him potentially be a mainstay on that defense. And, you know, who knows, maybe Julon or some of these other guys that we had, you know, for special teams, maybe some of these guys really turn out to be something in the near future. Before we go, let's talk a little bit about what's going on in Conference USA right now. The big news in Conference USA Western Front was UAB fell to Rice. Yes, you heard that right. UAB lost to Rice, the Rice team that we shut out last week. Also, UAB's homecoming game, so there's that added disrespect of Rice being picked for two homecoming games in a row, not showing up for UTSA's homecoming, but apparently showing up to spoil UAB's homecoming. Yeah, and interestingly, they had a different quarterback playing, so that might have been part of the difference in this game. Also, UAB, you know, has several injuries um, that they, I guess, had during the game. So they've got some of their defenders that are now going to be out going forward. UAB now goes into a bye week, but they will face Louisiana Tech and Marshall before they play UTSA. So those are going to be two games for UTSA fans to keep their eye on because now that UAB has one loss, if Louisiana Tech or Marshall and more likely Marshall, were to beat UAB going into the match with UTSA, you know, that would certainly help us if for some reason, you know, we lost a game somewhere along the way. Yeah, you're correct. I mean, here's here's the thing. With those injuries, they could potentially start stumbling now, which is not necessarily, to me, a good thing because you want more of a, not necessarily, I get it, not necessarily a full-strength UAB team, but 
uh, on one hand, but on the other hand, it, it UAB loses the luster, and now all of a right. sudden we've got a lesser UAB team that we're playing, and sure, there'd be revenge from last year, but now, I don't know, I mean, it just feels like everybody's kind of falling apart, and, and the pathway is there for us uh, in terms of having a better record, but also closing out this conference championship. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, the other team, you know, that really stands in the path of UTSA getting that conference championship is UTEP. Um, they head to FAU this week. Um, so that's a game that UTSA fans should keep an eye on. Um, since it's a bye week, you know, you've got the time. Definitely keep an eye on the UTEP FAU game. A loss would really allow UTSA to fully control their own destiny. And honestly, I, we're going to keep the previews to next week, but I think we're going to be talking about UTEP's loss. Um, there's just a lot of things going against UTEP. Now we've seen UTSA been able to kind of go over the over the hump on some of these things where they've you know had adversity before and they've been able to get past that. But this UTEP team, just something to think about is they use the K-State model from back in the 1990s, which was schedule a bunch of cupcakes, kind of pump up your schedule, and then get away with a couple of conference wins and be able to be bolt eligible in order to continue developing your program. It's not necessarily a bad thing, but on the other hand, this team I don't think is as talented all around as I think the record shows. So that's just something to kind of think about. And, you know, when we see the FAU score, we'll know exactly what what kind of team UTEP really is. Yeah, and on the flip side, we'll know what kind of team (laughs) FAU is because, again, they've sort of been not as consistent this season as we've seen them in the past. So... I agree with you. I still expect that this is going to be an FAU win, but it may not be the dominant FAU team that we have expected to see in the past. And to that, it would be kind of cool, at least from my point of view, if FAU is able to win the East because having them come to San Antonio would be a great way to finish off the season potentially in a conference championship game. Especially if it's an undefeated season. Yes, because UTSA would be able to avenge probably the worst loss they've had in the trailer era, which was last year. When to you, he said, hey, they never got off the plane at yeah. FAU. There'd be no excuses this time. We'd, we'd be hosting the conference championship, and it, it would be that big, I would say, the trademark win that this um, this current UTSA team would need. Yeah, absolutely. So kind of keeping with the conference discussion, you know, of course, the other big news that happened this week, or last week, I should say, was um, conference realignment finding out for sure that UTSA had um, been extended and accepted a bid to the American Conference. So what are your thoughts on UTSA making this move? Do you feel as excited and as good about this as, you know, we're hearing from other outlets in the media? Sure. I mean, there's got to be definite excitement because you're essentially moving up a step in terms of G5 conferences. You're going to get more media exposure. You get the ability in different sports to potentially have more bids to get into like an NCAA tournament. Uh, you, the competition goes up. Uh, and, and I think it's it's where UTSA was eventually going to at least hope to get to. Um, and certainly much sooner than I think they were uh, ready to get to. And, and I think really the bigger, another big item just to bring up is that it really spotlights our coaches because now you essentially have a bigger, I guess, more uh, national recognition. So you're able to attract better coaches coming to UTSA. And uh, something that we had been talking about kind of off the podcast, off, you know, off and on was, we you know, Jeff Trailer at some point will probably leave. He'll find another 
project that he really wants to take on. It's more challenging. It's going to pay him more or whatever. I mean, it's better opportunities, right? So instead of us wondering who's that, you know, running backs coach or position coach that is, you know, we can pluck from somewhere. Maybe that diamond in the rough, right? Right. We don't have to worry about necessarily that diamond in the rough so much as there's now a hot offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator from P5 that we could potentially look at. There's you know, more options now because of a higher profile conference. So those are all the positives. I think the negatives are just trying to get the athletic budget up to where it needs to be to, to compete in uh, AAC. Uh, and obviously, you know, one of the challenges that's always going to come with this is, you know, as UTSA continues to grow, it's really going to depend on its alumni to start giving much more donations and to really start looking at how much they can afford to be donating to the school and you know, potentially again, as they also brought out, is community partnerships. You know, how many more partners in the San Antonio area are going to step up and say, "We want to be a part of this bigger, better university"? And I got to say, I mean, I know that there was discussed within, you know, with Dr. Campos and you know Taylor Amy uh, during that press conference, but just to see how it's how it's grown from the time from like 2000 now is just amazing. I would say even just the growth from like 2000 to potentially like even 2000. 10 was a big jump but it's amazing to think that as we were as we were getting out of college where would we have ever assumed that utsa was going to be have a football team and be in the aac just this this top conference uh g5 conference no and i think a lot of these these g5 conferences are starting to meld together so you're going to see some competition i think between all of them i don't think aac is going to stay at the top of g5 but you know, it, it'll be good to at least, uh, from a media standpoint, be more on the ESPN family of network, so it's easier for people to see uh, UTSA as opposed to being on stadium this past week, as you pointed out before, where we couldn't even get down a distance on on the stadium right. <laughs> view, view. So, yeah, and you know, I think the other thing that that we're going to have to see a big leap in is just our facilities um, outside of football. Right. Um, you know, there was the discussion about. The basketball facilities, um, you know, sounds like Taylor Amy is trying to work with the city to get some money through the next bond um, so that the city can help fund that, which will, you know, hopefully be an exciting venture. I mean, if you look at what Austin did with, um, is it Moody Stadium? Is that their new stadium replacing the Frank Irwin Center? Yeah. Um, They are kind of doing the same thing where they worked with Austin. They worked with a foundation. And now they're going to be able to um, open that up so that there'll be a concert venue um, in addition to, you know, just being a facility for um, UT's basketball team. So it sounds like that's kind of the footprint that they're sort of looking for is how can this be something where there's a partnership with the city so we can get additional funding and then maybe utilize that for um, other activities for the city throughout the year in addition to UTSA uh, UTSA basketball um, and volleyball. I mean, all of us try to find a way to stretch that dollar. This is just UTSA doing the same thing, and hopefully, you know, it, it all turns out well. All right. Well, last but not least, let's talk a little bit about um, kind of the elephant in the room, which is what happens to Conference USA now that these schools have made the jump to AAC. Oof, is I think the biggest thing. Um, you know, I think it's a huge gut gut punch for most of these teams or most of these schools. I, I, some of them are probably going to get poached by other conferences. We already know that Southern Miss is already looking at Sunbelt or is going to be something in the Sunbelt. Uh, I, I imagine there's going to be a couple of other schools that will probably be uh, brought in by the Sunbelt as well. 
I, I just wonder how Conference USA is going to be strategic about this because they have discussed some FCS schools. And again, off podcast, we've been discussing back and forth about what does that look like for some of these FCS schools? And is it is it plausible to really um, make that jump or make that jump so soon? You graduated from with your master's from Tarleton, and we've kind of been involved a little bit with Tarleton as they, they've begun to, you know, make their jump up to FCS. And now, you know, their, their goal was to always get to FBS at some point. But, you know, I think the question is, is accelerating now really the right approach? Right. And, I, and I think, and, and I'll back up real quick to say, UTSA accelerated as well, but UTSA was already at sort of an FCS level. So there was advantages to what they were doing. Tarleton's in a different spot where they were essentially Division Two, just coming up to FCS now. And mm-hmm. now to say that they would be potentially be ready to try to make another jump seems seems just kind of mind-blowing. Yeah. And, you, you know, another podcast I was listening to was kind of talking about these schools that um, CUSA is looking at, which are WAC schools like Sam Houston and Tarleton, you know, and those schools joined the WAC last year, knowing that the intent of the WAC was to go from FCS up to FBS. So the question mark is, what's Conference USA really going to do for them and offer them that would make that making that leap now better than waiting the yes. two to three years, right. you know, and just following the trajectory they're already on with the WAC because they already have some schools that are outliers in terms of, you know, distance and travel, but they do have a lot of Texas schools that they have now um, joined the WAC. And so, you know, I don't know how much of an advantage it would be for a Tarleton in particular to make that jump so quickly, um, particularly when you have to go back then and look at, you know, again, doubling your athletics budget, you know, looking at your Olympic sports and trying to get them prepared to make this jump, not just football. It's, I, I think it's always a great to have goals, but I think you also have to be realistic about what you can do and what you can't do. You know, I, I would point back at a former conference US, or I think, no, sorry, WAC member in Idaho who just realized that they just couldn't stay up in FBS, so they went back down to FCS. Now, it was met with a ton of, you know, backlash from, you know, their alumni, their students, you know, all the athletic programs, but they knew who they needed to be, and so they realized that FCS is exactly where they needed to be. I think Tarleton being included this is great. It's great to have some publicity. It's great to have that attention, but you're right. I I think they really need to look themselves in the mirror and figure out, is this the right step? It's good to have ambition, but is this being way too ambitious? Right. It'll be interesting to see what happens with Conference USA, but, you know, they obviously don't appear to be in the driver's seat right now. So no, um, no, no, no. I no. think the next two weeks are going to be very telling for that conference. Yeah, and I would say, you know, for those members that are still there, is it worth it to stay? Yeah. You know, there are conference bids that are still, you know, linked with for them in different sports, but the reality is, do you start looking at you know, trying to make, trying to reach out to other conferences and see if they're interested, if they're not, and if it's worth it, just going independent. I mean, I, I think, you know, it's obviously bad if you want to go independent, but, you know, in this case, it, it might be the best thing because if you start getting hot, you'll start getting some conference invites. Yep, absolutely. Well, thanks for joining us on the Hail Married podcast. I'm Atos. Not the Toves. We'll be back next week to recap the season so far and to preview the UTEP game. Birds up. <laughs>